Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, these are God's words. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. So far, the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Uh, coming out of verse 5, last week we heard about the ministry of the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God onto our hearts. And a pouring out uh, which is unlike any other pouring out, for uh, when this word is used uh, of uh, creaturely things, uh, they are quickly exhausted. Uh, the bursting forth of the wine from the broken wine skin or the bursting forth of Judas's entrails when he uh, hangs himself. Um, and uh, it's poured out and uh, it's kind of like when you overpay for uh, a firework uh, and it comes all gushing forth and it's about 11 seconds long and then it's done and there went all your money. And that's it. Uh, not so with the love of God. As the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God and there's the bursting and the gushing and the overwhelming, the overflowing stream and yet it is not exhausted. And that is where uh, the Apostle now takes us as he describes to us that this demonstration of God's love which the Holy Spirit has made to us and makes to us, as we will hear that distinction uh, in a few moments with God's help. Uh, this demonstration of God's love to us is a display of Christ, a display indeed of the triune God in the second person of the Godhead, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been expecting displays of God throughout this letter, throughout this proclamation of the gospel, for that's what the apostle has told us from the beginning when uh, after his introductions and he tells the Romans that he wants to come and preach the gospel to them also who are in Rome. And he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he starts talking about the display of God. For it is the power of God for salvation. How could we ever uh, weary or, uh, or exhaust, weary of or exhaust the uh, proclamation of the power of God? He is almighty. This is one of the reasons why heaven is everlasting, because we are finite creatures and to know God and have him as our inheritance and indeed to have the joy of the Lord Jesus in us and to receive according to what the Lord Jesus deserves. We will increase in knowledge of God forever and never exhaust it. So there's the power of God in the gospel, the power of God for salvation. And immediately he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God for us sinners that is from faith and for faith. So a display not only of God's power, but a display of God's righteousness. Indeed, this is what we needed because we are under the wrath of God. There is none who did good, none who does good, not even one apart 
from the grace of God and we need the power of God to make us alive in order that we may believe and we need the righteousness of God which is the only righteousness uh, that will do for us and which can only be received through faith in Jesus Christ which can only be received in Jesus Christ himself. And so we've been hearing about the display of the power of God and the display of the righteousness of God. And now we hear the third added here, the display of the love of God. And that's how the apostle has organized under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these uh, these three verses and what he says here, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are the ones who are without strength. Christ had strength to die. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But we are the ones who are not righteous. We are the ones who, who don't do good. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good, not even one. He quotes uh, other scripture as he writes scripture in chapter 3 of this letter. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the good one. And so we are the ones who are without strength. We are the ones who are without righteousness and goodness. We are the ones who were without loveliness. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love is entirely one way. It is not produced in this case by the loveliness of the object, but by the loving of the one who gives the love, the love of the subject, in this case God, who loves sinners. Uh, and so there is a sense in which uh, as he starts uh, to, to open up this love of God being spread out in our hearts. He, he begins in a place that reaches back into the passage, the portion that we heard last week uh, about how we glory in tribulations because now that we are those who have the guarantee of the glory of God, we have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And because Jesus is our righteousness, we are guaranteed to be perfectly holy and perfectly happy forever. To come into the enjoyment of God's glory, having been made ones who enjoy God's glory. And since we are guaranteed that now the work that God is doing in our hearts, the work that God is doing in our lives, the work that God is doing on us through tribulation is in part producing that endurance that we heard about last week. But before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we had no strength at all. That's why the endurance was proven character, was some of the fruit, some of, uh, some of that sanctifying work that culminates and finishes in our glorification when we will have been made just like Jesus, conformed to the image of his Son, as God has been determined to do since before the world began, as he says in chapter 8. But we were without strength when Christ died for us. We didn't have any hope. We didn't have any proven character. Or what was proven about us was that we were entirely wicked. We didn't have endurance. We 
were not at all willing even to enjoy God at all, let alone to suffer in order that we might enjoy him. We were the withouters. We were without strength, without righteousness, without loveliness. But the great message of the gospel is that Jesus is all of these things for us. Indeed, Christ had the strength to die. He died uh, at the right time. For when we were still without strength, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The time of God's choosing, the time that God had appointed when he would demonstrate himself just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus, the time at which Jesus would be displayed as the propitiation, the one who is equal in his worth to the glory of God, for he is God and the one who has given up uh, on account of our sins, delivered up because of our offenses. Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 25. At the right time, Christ, who alone could die, he is the right one to die. He is the only one whose death could atone, for he is righteous and holy. And not only is he righteous and holy, but he is a divine person, yes, with a completely human nature, a a, a true human body, a true human soul, in addition to his divine nature now but still a divine person. And so it is God who dies by way, by use of his human nature. It is God who bled, the apostle will say in Acts chapter 20, when he is reminding the elders of the preciousness of the flock over whom, among whom the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. These have been bought with the blood of God. But he isn't just God so that he would be valuable enough for his death, but so that he could die actively, intentionally, giving himself. This is something that we um, we discussed briefly uh, at the breakfast last Saturday, and it uh, it corresponds to this passage as well. We were without strength to die. Christ died with strength. He said this beforehand about his death in John chapter 10. He said, no one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down. Indeed, even when he prayed, Father, into your hands, I dismiss my spirit or commit or commend or send my spirit. You and I can't send our souls anywhere. We don't have that authority. We die when God separates the soul from the body. But Jesus is God. And he's dying as a divine person. And he sends his spirit into the hands of the Father. And we know it not just from the prayer, we know it even from the manner in which he died, the manner that that centurion found so impressive. I don't know if you have made the same mistake that that I had made uh, quite often reading the account of uh, our Lord's death in the Gospel of Matthew. And it talks about the, the temple curtain being torn in two from top to bottom and the resurrected uh, uh, believers who came out of their graves and went into the city. And then it says 
And when the centurion saw the manner in which he died, he said, truly, this is the son of God. That centurion hadn't seen the the curtain of the temple tear in two. And he wasn't in the middle of Jerusalem. He was outside Jerusalem. At Golgotha, on the hill that we call now Calvary. What he had seen was something he had never seen before in a crucifixion. Which is when the one who is crucified is coming to die, his lungs are filling with fluid. He is unable to to catch breath. He's been pushing up for his breaths upon the nail in his feet so that he can get just a little bit more breath. This is not how Jesus died. He cried out with a loud voice. He died. Even after all of that suffering, he died with strength. He died intentionally. He gave himself up actively. Now in the context of making application to the young men in Ephesians 5.25 at the breakfast, we were talking about how active our Lord was in giving himself up for his bride. And that it was more than just at his death, but at his death even. And how we ought to be so active as husbands. But for our purposes tonight, we are gathered as the church, we are gathered as the bride. And we are to see not only the love of our heavenly husband, as we will see in verse 8, but his strength. We were without strength. Jesus had strength even in his dying. He died for the most unlikely candidates. It's going to, we have already, he died for the ungodly. Um, We'll take that up when we think about verse 7. But he died for those who are without strength. This is something that Sinners, as God works on us by his grace and sometimes even in common grace, he makes us to realize about ourselves that we are powerless. And perhaps that's something that God has been giving you in his mercy, the awareness of how powerless you are, how without strength you are. Well, if you have been discovering in your battle against sin or your Uh, or your endeavors to do what is right, uh, or even to obey the littlest commands. Fret not. If you have been discovering that you are without strength, that you are powerless, then take heart from verse 6 and hope in Jesus Christ. For the powerless are exactly the sort of people You are exactly the sort of person for whom Christ died if you are powerless. He didn't die for those who had strength. He died for those who were without it. But not just those who were without strength, those who were without godliness. Uh, And that is how verse 6 transitions into verse 7. Christ died for the ungodly, the just 
for the unjust. And then he describes how unprecedented and unparalleled this sacrifice was, this exchange was. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. You see, there are those who, uh, by the uh, the ration, rationale and the reason that God has uh, has given us and what's left of conscience uh, that are sometimes willing to sacrifice for the greater good. History is full of unbelievers who went to their death because they thought that those who could do some good, whose lives would be protected and would be spared, uh, that... Uh, that their preservation was worth their own sacrifice. Perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But it's almost unheard of, almost never, that self-sacrifices for someone because he's righteous. Because we don't love righteousness. And yet the one who loves righteousness and the one who loves goodness and the one who is righteous and the one who is good and the one who would have been worthy of our dying. If this was the other way around, it would be worth it for all of the multitudes for whom Christ died that they would have died for him. But it was he who died for them. And not when they were righteous, not when they were good. Christ died for the ungodly. He was the one who was willing to die for us. So there's not just the strength to die, but there's the willingness to die, the goodness to die. That goodness that made him or displayed in him the greatness of his loveliness. And he says, for this reason, my father loves me, for I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, that which was hateful at the cross was the sin which Christ bore in his union with us. The fury of God, the hatred of God, the wrath of God was not poured out on Christ for his sake, for his sake in himself. He was never more lovely to the Father. There is not a breaking of the fellowship within the Godhead. There is not a breaking of the fellowship between the Father and the Son. This was the loveliest thing that had ever been done. This is the greatest obedience that has ever been performed. And by one who in himself is already altogether lovely. And yet he was dying for us who are ungodly, unrighteous, not good, but wicked. What was so lovely about that? Why was it so good? Why was it so righteous? Why was it the one man's great act of obedience? Yes, there's there's all of the active obedience. Every thought and every word and every intention, every desire, every action 
that our Lord has ever done in his humanity was perfectly righteous. His active, A-A-C-T-I-V-E, obedience. But scripture also talks about the one great act of obedience. And the reason it's so lovely is because it's exactly father-like. And so we are not only the ones who are without strength, Christ has the strength, and we are without righteousness or goodness, but Christ has the righteousness and goodness. But we were without loveliness, but Christ had all the love. Because God is love in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in mutual, continual, unfathomable, infinite, divine love, that glorious fellowship that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed prayed that we would enter into, that we would know and love and be loved. Even with a fellowship that comes out of the fellowship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have from everlasting to everlasting, from all eternity, in himself. And this is where the determination to save us came from. This is what we call the covenant of redemption, that God in himself determined, agreed, was pleased to commit himself to save sinners out of love, So you have, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you have, God demonstrates his own love. The love that is from within him. The love that the spirit we heard last week in verse 5 is pouring out on our hearts. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this we know love, that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. But here in verse 5 is a demonstration of God's love by an action of Christ. Because Christ is God. And he was demonstrating how father-like he is by loving us with the same love with which the Father has loved us in him. And he has loved us in himself and in the Father and by the Spirit and with the Spirit. There is not a division of wills in God. There is not a division of loves in God. And the one great love of God for sinners, there is the love of the Father to choose them in the Son and to give the Son for them. And there is the love of the Son to receive them and to die for them and redeem them for the Father. And there is the love of the Spirit to make all things and uphold all things and sustain the Son in his humanity. And to be for us the Spirit of Christ in us. So that the the same Holy Spirit who sustains the humanity of the Lord Jesus sustains you, dear Christian. 
and pours out the love of God in your hearts. We were unlovely. What remains of the image of God in man, apart from grace, he only sins against the image that is in him. Now we, for the sake of God's image in others, we find his image in them lovely. We love our enemies. We love the reprobate, even though we don't know which ones are, praise God. But even he causes his sun to shine on them and his rain to fall on them. And he pours out love and goodness in common grace. Even when it is not saving, it is still love. It is still expressed by the prophet who says, why will you die? Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? It is still expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ, weeping over those who are about to murder him. It is still expressed in Jesus praying for their forgiveness from the cross and Stephen praying for those who are murdering him. And Paul, who had been participating in his murder, praying for the salvation of those who had been trying to murder him ever since he became a Christian. Yes, there is the image of God remaining even in those who will never come to faith. But all they do is sin against that image. God's wrath is not wrong. In themselves they are unlovely and they despise him who is the only lovely thing about them. God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there is a wrong kind of self-loathing which doesn't recognize that I am made in the image of God and doesn't value his image and therefore doesn't hate sin for his sake and doesn't turn from it and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because the image of God even in me is, is worth being redeemed. If there is nothing else in me and there is nothing else in me, But there is a right sort of self-loathing. There is a right look into the mirror of Scripture and to say, I don't do good and I am not righteous. And as my heart and mind are in my flesh, they are grotesque and filthy and offensive, sinful, disgusting, Hateful. I am altogether unlovely. And we do not help someone when the Spirit is discovering that to them, whether in the ordinary providence of coming under conviction or the redeeming providence of being made alive so that they will see not just themselves but Christ and turn from themselves to Him and fall upon him and be saved. We don't do someone good 
When we say, no, 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 you are lovely. Because the gospel of God is the display not only of his strength and not only of his righteousness, but even of his love for the unlovely, for the sinner. And if you find that you are unlovely in yourself and people who heal your wound too easily are unable to convince you, no, really, you are good, but you know you're not, then know this also. God demonstrates his love for us in this. Not demonstrated. I said we would come back to this. It's present tense in verse 8. It wasn't a one-time demonstration of his love. When he makes you to hear the preaching of the gospel of his son for sinners just like you, for the unlovely just like you, he is now in the preaching and the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, loving you, displaying his love to you, So that you will say, what a God, what a Savior. I am exactly the sort of unlovely, sinful person that he loves. That he loved at the cross. But that he loves in the preaching of the cross. And it's as the Holy Spirit brings you to that realization that he begins that work in a soul that will last forever, go on forever, the shedding abroad, the pouring out of the love of God in our hearts. If you're a believer, you're no longer without strength. Christ is your strength. You have access through him, by through faith in him. You have access to the grace by which you now stand. If you're a believer, you're no longer without strength. Christ is your strength and he is God. If you're a believer, you are no longer without righteousness. Christ is your righteousness twice. He's already been counted as your righteousness. And you are already, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are as justified as you will ever be in glory. You are as justified as the saints in glory. Dare we even say it? You are as justified as Jesus. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, you are also being dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Whatever endurance you have, Whatever proven character you have, it is part of that glorious holiness that he is working in you, which will one day be completed. But part of it already is. Every little part is from Jesus. And it is lovely. 
and he who loved you when you had no loveliness at all, how much more can you be sure? Not so much how much more does he love you. His love doesn't wax or wane. It is the love of God. It has been full from within him from all eternity. But how much more can you be sure of that love? He loved you when you were unlovely. And he has counted you lovely. And he has begun to make you lovely. God demonstrates, demonstrates present his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though still a sinner, you now know by the ministry of the Spirit, you are loved with God's own love from within himself, within the triune Godhead. May the Spirit continue to pour out the knowledge of that love throughout our hearts. Amen.